Hello, and welcome to the Ultrasound Gel Podcast. My name is Jacob Avila, and I have with me Cray Bolger and Michael Pratts. Pratts. Thanks. <laughs> you can tell I'm pretty sleepy. It's a difficult name to say. It is, it is really tough. That's fine. Mornings are hard. So what we're going to talk about today is an interesting study. Uh, it's entitled The Diagnostic Accuracy of Point-of-Care Gastric Ultrasound, and it was published in uh, anesthesia and analgesia fairly recently, in uh, 2018. Now, we are emergency physicians, but we share point-of-care ultrasound with a lot of other specialties, uh, and in this case, anesthesia. And what they're interested in in this study is basically if they can tell if a person has fasted sufficiently or if even if they say they fasted, if they actually you know still have um, any liquid or food in their stomach, which can be a big deal if you're trying to intubate somebody. Now, the reason this is kind of important for us in the ED, uh, Mike and Cray, is that we do this too. We intubate people and we do sedations. We do sedations for you know pediatric patients uh, that have you know ortho procedures or painful procedures. We also you know intubate for airway protection and all that good stuff. So this is something that can help us figure out if a patient is safe for intubation, which I'm actually pretty excited about uh, delving into with you guys. This is a great topic because, like you said, whether or not they have a full stomach, you know that. That helps you predict what might happen down the line when you're doing a sedation or an intubation. Right, 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 exactly. So, Cray, how did they tackle this question? So, first off, they recruited healthy volunteers, adults 18 to 85, with ASA levels 1 or 2. So, we'll talk about this in the results a little bit more, but maybe not the patient population that we're most concerned about putting a tube in. And they had to be of a specific height, so no pediatric size adults, which I think is important because sometimes that number doesn't necessarily mean anything in relationship to the size of the patient or their stomach or anything else about them. And they had to be smart enough to understand the protocol, which was pretty simple. It was don't eat, drink some apple juice, or eat a meal, and then we'll take a picture of your stomach <laughs> to sum things up very basically. So... Um, if you had any risk, essentially, for ileus or gastroparesis, so pregnancy, some kind of previous surgery, upper GI symptoms like hernia, tumors, um, diabetes, out. you, you get out. kicked out, neurologic disorders, anything that would make your GAI tract not function normally. And so what they did is they had the people fast for eight hours, and then they either said, keep fasting and be hungry and grumpy, or drink 250 mLs of apple juice, or you get coffee and a muffin. I really wish I would be assorted to the coffee and a muffin group right now. That would be my choice as well. Yep. Uh, and then three minutes after, they did a index gastric ultrasound. And they said, we see nothing, we see something clear, or we see something solid. And then after 24 hours, they got put into a second group, separate from their first group, and were randomized. So each person was tested twice for the same thing, basically. And they could have been fasted both times, or they could have had an apple juice one time and a solid meal another time. Right. So each, they basically just tried to double their N by using everyone two separate times. Yeah, and they also got intra-patient reliability with this as well. 
There you go. So let me talk a little bit about how they did this ultrasound and then I'm gonna jump into the results. They were using a curvilinear transducer and what they did is two steps. First, they had the transducer in the epigastrium and the sagittal plane and they looked here for the gastric antrum between the liver and the pancreas and aorta. And what they were looking for was, do they see just the empty gastric antrum where it's collapsed, you just see the walls of the stomach? Or do you see that filled with black anechoic fluid inside? Or do you see it filled with hypochoic mixed echogenicity material, which would indicate a more solid material filling up the stomach? Then, if they saw something in that view, then they had the patient go into the right lateral decubitus and they actually measured a cross-sectional area of the gastric antrum. I found this pretty interesting because they had a previously validated equation to get the volume of the stomach fluid it's based super on simple. this measurement. Yeah, it's really yeah, it's easy. Yeah, it's way too really much easy. math for three in the morning. You only have to remember three numbers. It's 27 plus 14.6 times the area minus 1.28 times their age. So easy. Yeah, I will definitely It, it rolls that off up. the tongue. So it's really important that you remember that. That is the main thing we want you to remember from this paper. <laughs> Listen, it's, it's Googleable. It's very easily Googleable. Yeah, but also I think this probably is accurate because the way that they validated this was by measuring it with ultrasound, and then they endoscopically guided a suction to make sure they got every last drop out of someone's stomach to correlate between that equation and the measured volume on ultrasound. So maybe it's, maybe it's pretty accurate. It's like mm -hmm. my kids versus a bowl of chocolate ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> so now here's important, this is important to the study. They considered it a full stomach if they saw either solid content or if they measured it to be greater than 1.5 milliliters per kilogram of clear fluid. Knowing that, let's head to the results. So they ended up enrolling 42 people, but then two of them, when they did their baseline ultrasound to see, do you have something even though you said you fasted? Two of them got kicked out because they had stuff on their ultrasound at baseline. Well, so well. they ended up having 40 people, and then since everyone got enrolled twice, in a way that ended up having 80 sessions. These people were, you know, talking about the population a little bit. The mean age was 37, their mean weight was 69 kilograms, mean height 168 centimeters. I have no clue how tall that is. And mean BMI 24. So this is a pretty this is a pretty good-looking good group. <laughs> All right. So, primary outcome. The accuracy of point of care ultrasound for the diagnosis of a full stomach they found a sensitivity 100%. Shut your mouth. 100% sensitivity. I will not. That is amazing. <laughs> they did not either. Yes, they did not. <laughs> well played. The specificity, 97.5%. Oh, well, that no. just makes it useless, and it's not 100%, 100%. Hey, what yeah. about the likelihood ratios? Because that's how you can determine if you can use a test, right? That's a good point. Well. As you may know, when you have a sensitivity of 100%, it gets tricky to report the, like, the negative likelihood ratio. Mm -hmm. So the negative likelihood ratio is the best possible, however you <laughs> want to call it. Right. The positive likelihood ratio is 40. Wow. So you can pretty, use this to rule in solid. and rule out stuff in the stomach, according to this yeah. study of healthy volunteers. Yeah. These authors also enjoy the likelihood ratio because they actually put together 
the old Fagan nomogram, and they said if you have a 50% pretest probability, then a positive test increases that to 97%. That is amazing. So, pretty good. Yeah, way good. There's some other findings here, too. All the patients who ingested solids had true positive exams. Um, but interestingly, it wasn't always because they saw solid material. In about 15% of them, it was only because they had a high volume of fluid. Interesting. And then all of the patients that ingested juice also had true positives, and the majority of those were because of the high volume. There's one patient that, for some reason, had solid content seen on their ultrasound, but either way, it was positive. Hmm. So there was overall only one incorrect exam at all. This was a false positive. And this was a fasting patient who they ended up saying, based on their ultrasound, it looked like they had a full stomach. Doesn't really go into the details of what they saw or, or why that ended up being a false positive. And they had planned to exclude anybody that had inconclusive results on their ultrasound, but <clears throat> nobody had inconclusive results. Well, that's intense. Well, I think that it's important though. I mean, these are impressive findings, but let's discuss some of the limitations because there's a few things that may prevent us from immediately applying this to our next patient. Okay. So this seems to be similar to maybe a trauma patient you know, male, young, healthy, hold my beer, watch this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I don't know if a full stomach would ever stop me from intubating somebody I wanted to intubate. So while I think this is pretty cool, I don't know how much it would change my plan other than maybe a slightly different approach or better preparation. Maybe have two suctions instead of just one suction? Yeah, the only other time I could see it be helpful is... In a case like we've had before where we decompress prior to intubation, but if you need a tube, you need a tube, and you just prep for the vomit fountain that will ensue. Maybe you, like, wear a raincoat instead if they've got a positive ultrasound. Wear a raincoat. <laughs> I think that, that for me the most useful for this is in someone that needs, like, a, some kind of a procedure and can wait a few hours if, like, they need to. So you do the ultrasound on this guy – and they said that they just ate a cheeseburger, you do an ultrasound, their stomach is empty, just go ahead and do the procedure. Um, if they say that they haven't eaten in days and you look and their stomach's full of stuff, then you maybe reevaluate if you need to do the sedation right then. That, that's where, for me, I think it would be the most useful. That's fair. I think that those are all important points towards its, uh, the practicality of this in the emergency department. Obviously, for anesthesiologists, this may have a lot more wait, you know, if you are going to be, if this is just an elective surgery and you have the chance to reschedule it and you find something that is a, looks like a full stomach, it may be worthwhile doing that later because the risk outweighs the benefit of doing it right away. Right. For, for us, oftentimes the risk of the procedure uh, is less than the risk of not doing the procedure right away. So changes the situation. I think one thing that's kind of danced around though is the fact that these aren't your high risk for aspiration patients, right? These are your people with intact sphincter tones who metabolize their food quickly, who have an, a functioning GI tract. The people who I worry are going to aspirate are the old ladies with dentures and an ASA3 who are morbidly obese, whose stomach is distended and going to blow on me as soon as I put any positive pressure down there. And so I'd love to see how good we can do with those people because those are the ones who 
I might consider what my alternatives are or I might decompress them prior to because their risk of aspiration and complications from aspiration are so significant. Your 19, 20-year-old patient who's young and healthy probably isn't going to aspirate, and even if they do, they'll probably do okay with it. I think that's the biggest problem with this study. These were healthy people, and at the end of the day, healthy people don't always translate into the sick people that you're seeing in front of you that you want to apply this data to. Uh, also of note, the operator, it was a single operator who was very skilled with gastric ultrasound. I think he had done over a hundred of them. So you may not be quite as good at this to start out unless you are already a gastric ultrasound pro. The other limitation I thought of, you know, this was actually uh, pretty well done in that it was randomized and blinded, but I wondered if they could really blind it fully if they, people ate the muffins because probably uh, at least a few crumbs would have gotten down <laughs> on their clothes. And if you saw crumbs, you know they would already be in the solid group. So I worry about that a little bit. So I know we talked about this really simple formula they came up with. And just in my delayed reflection on it, I'm wondering if this might even be something that goes the way of the IVC where it's a, does it look full or not? Because do I care if you have 300 or 200 cc's Probably not, but I do care if there's a visible amount of whatever in your stomach. And so when I hear this formula, that's where I kind of go to with it is, do I really care about the volume? And are you actually going to be able to stop and use this formula and measure the cross-sectional area of the stomach clinically? I think that does decrease its uh, feasibility a little bit, at least in the emergency department. Well, even if it's put into a machine algorithm, again, same kind of thing with bladder volume. I care a lot about the relative size, decompressed or full, but not necessarily the absolute volume um, after a certain threshold. So I wonder if we get to that point with this, where a st- once you cross a threshold volume, it doesn't matter. It's more of a positive-negative dichotomous answer. I think that would be ideal, too, because, you know, everyone at baseline is going to have something in their stomach, so it's finding that right cutoff. And here they tried to make that cutoff the 1.5 milliliters per kilogram. And we'll see if that, that pans out or if we find another one that's better. So let me summarize what they found in this study. This was a study of healthy volunteers who were randomized into either fasting or eating with the intent to use ultrasound to diagnose whether they had a full stomach or not. They ended up enrolling 40 people but had 80 sessions that they collected data from. They found that ultrasound has a sensitivity of 100% for a full stomach, specificity 97.5%. So you get your positive likelihood ratio of 40, negative likelihood ratio of infinity. So the take-home points for this article are that, number one, gastric point-of-care ultrasound is pretty accurate for determining whether healthy volunteers, at least, have a full stomach. And this may have a role in determining aspiration risk in patients. I think that is still up in the air a little bit. I would like to thank our authors for performing this study. It's a really interesting topic and fascinating results. And thank you for listening. If you want to check out more from our podcast, go to ultrasoundgel.org. You can check us out on Twitter, Facebook, or Google+. Talk to you later. More. Pressure. More. Gel. More. Pressure. More. Gel. More. Ultrasound gel podcast. Maybe they had like weird little secret 
ninja places for their food in there. Yeah, that's true. 